0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ballot to Talk About. In this week's episode, we'll be looking at two presidential elections taking place in South America and asking the big question, could Argentina's Donald Trump be about to become its next president? It is Sunday, the 5th of November, 2023. be a president who seeks not to divide but
1: unify not
0: now i not am a in. fighter and not a fighter it's time for a change in this country my friends a real change let's keep moving Slava and joining me always on the other side of the world is my co-host sam well we how's everything going sam
1: yeah, everything's going very well. Um, it's bonfire night tonight, so we're getting fully into the autumn mode now as we're the ramp up to Christmas. So, yeah, everything's very well. How about you? Well, it has definitely been... Uh, I'm doing very well, thanks. It is
0: a little bit cooler here, which is very nice. It was very British raining, which is today here in Brisbane, which is somewhat um comforting and um somewhat... um brings back memories but um you talk about the fires, bonfire night well there certainly was a pair of to use the same analogy a pair of fiery presidential elections taking place <laughs> in uh south america weren't there and before we talk about probably for some argentinians given it was halloween the scarier of the two let's uh let's talk about ecuador because we finally have a new president isn't it sam
1: we do, and I think it's worth saying that last week we did a pair of parliamentary elections, this week we've chosen to do a pair of presidential elections, so we're trying to keep it thematic here on the podcast. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Ecuador finally has a new president. We covered the first round of this presidential election when it took place back in August, um, but now we have had the second round a few weeks ago, which saw Daniel Naboa of the National Democratic Alliance win the presidency by 51.8% of the votes in the runoff against Luisa González, and he is going to take office as the youngest president in Ecuador's history at just 35 years old, and actually the youngest democratically elected leader globally at this time. Luisa Gonzalez, as I said, lost this election. She was of the Citizen Revolution movement, who was a protege of former president Rafael Correa, very much of the Correaist um, wing of Ecuadorian politics. And this is now the second election in a row that the Correaist backed candidate has lost to a relative political newcomer since two years ago when Guillermo Lasso won the presidency against Andrea Rouse, who, funnily enough, was um, Louisa Gonzalez's running mate in this election. So it's now two elections in a row um, that the Carreras candidates have lost to relative political newcomers. And Chen, we did say it in the first round, but I think it's worth repeating before we dive into the analysis, is that this election, because it was called um, through the mutual death clause, will not interrupt the presidential term so actually daniel naboa will be going into his re-election campaign in 18 months time so it'll be a short time to turn around um, Ecuadorian politics certainly the reputation of the national political scene after the chaos of guillermo lasso's departure but chen initially what are your reactions to these results i don't think i was particularly surprised i think in,
0: and this and I think we might have mentioned this in a preview podcast, but this reminds me very similar of the Peruvian presidential election we covered also in 2021 as well. And we also saw what happened there was that the president elected in that election was, uh, was ousted midterm, but they didn't go for a presidential election. Uh, Dina Boate uh, is remaining in office. But um, in this case, because of the mutual death cause involved, as you said, there
1: is a presidential election. I'm not sure. I'm in... not sure that Daniel Noboa would like to be compared to Dina Boluarte. Certainly, in her approval ratings, fortunes since then. But yes, you're exactly right. No, but I, I absolutely think you're absolutely
0: right there, and uh, that's a very good caveat. But what I was trying to point out was the fact that in Peru, you had the Fujimori, in this case, Keiko Fujimori, in the shadow of probably Alberto Fujimori, being able to get probably a significant portion of the population to vote for her in order to make it into the second round, but crucially cannot get the median voter in Peru to vote for her for now her to become president. And she's done it three times round and she's lost three times by incredibly close margins. This time round in Ecuador, the Correris back candidate, in this case Luis Gonzalez, who was running with the running mates, you said last time around, 2021, was able to get into the second round. But in a remarkable similar result, Sam, would you not know, the Correris back candidate couldn't get the median vote in Ecuador like they couldn't get in 2021, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean it's remarkably similar result last time. I think Guillermo Lasso won fifty-two point three percent of the vote. So if anything, Daniel Noboa has done slightly worse than Guillermo Lasso um, a few years ago. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's interesting to me that you had a huge amount of turbulence in Ecuador over the last few um, weeks and months with Guillermo Lasso's departure. You had the assassination of Fernando Villavicencio. And yet what has happened is pretty much status quo, which is that a careerist back candidate has very narrowly lost the presidency to somebody who, until now, had not really held national elected office. I think Daniel Naboa was actually a member of the Chamber of Deputies prior to this, but only one term, so a relative political newcomer. And it looks like whatever the careerist candidates do, even in the midst of quite... Um, Turbulent political times is that they do seem to have at least in the mo- in this moment a ceiling on their potential support, and crucially, that's not a majority of the population of Ecuador.
0: And to show you how similar it is, compa-
1: comparing this election to the
0: last election, Guillermo Lasso won um, as ah uh, sixteen provinces, and uh, Daniel Noboa won the same fifteen provinces. Only one province changed hands. From this presidential election to the presidential election in twenty twenty one, so it's it's a remarkable transfer. So if you voted for Andres Rouse in twenty twenty one, you will vote for Luis Gonzalez in twenty twenty three, and likewise, if you voted for Lasso in twenty twenty one, you voted for Naboa in twenty twenty three in the second mm-hmm. round. And what and and the, and you and you talked about Daniel Naboa. I can tell you was actually elected into Congress the same time. That uh, Guillermo Lasso is like mm, the president, mm. so he's the complete newbie, and yet he's being catapulted to the highest office in the land in Ecuador. Mm. Quite a remarkable story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think it did his father run for the presidency, was it five times, um, unsuccessfully? So at least Daniel Navoa only ran once and was successful, so he has at least one thing over on his dad, um, who was the banana mogul, um, down in Ecuador, but Chen before i we talk about how Daniel Naboa won this, I just wanted to just take a step back and look at what this frozen political situation looks like, because there are a huge number of comparisons between pre this election and what follows because Guillermo lesso was struggling because the Chamber of Deputies was overwhelmingly um, dominated by the korea backed party, who had not a majority, but certainly the most seats in the Chamber of Deputies. Well, that's still the case here. Um, in fact, Daniel Naboa's party um, has has just 13 seats, and the Citizens Revolution movement has 48 seats of 131. And in fact, the Movimento um, Construye, who was the party of the assassinated candidate Fernando Villa Vincencio, they came second place. They have 27 seats. So they're not even the second largest party in this chamber of deputies. And you still in Ecuador have the the economic and social conditions that were plaguing Guillermo Lasso. You still have... Uh, exceptionally high debt levels a really struggling economy a huge issue with cocaine trafficking and one of the highest homicide rates in the world is expected to be reported with 40 homicides per hundred thousand people at the last count and there's only three countries in the world that are in most recent data have recorded higher rates than that south africa jamaica and the u.s virgin islands which has an incredibly small population so any number of um, homicides brings that rate up but That's the situation that Daniel Neboa is coming into. So, one, do you think that situation helped him? And two, how on earth is he going to turn that around in just 18 months?
0: Well, let me just put it this I mean, let me just answer the second one. Uh, How on earth is it? It will be very difficult. I think 18 months is enough time for people to, for the honeymoon phase and the disillusionment to set in before the 2025 Presidential elections, and you talked about some of his political problems. He won it. He won the presidency without the endorsement of a formal political party. Um, he and the coalition he formed, the National Democratic Alliance. Um, he only leads one part of that National Democratic Alliance. There are two other parts which he doesn't lead. So it's entirely, he has just ridden this wave of discontent, I would argue, to the presidency. And I think what has helped, but and you listed all these reasons about crime rates, you know, 4,373 homicides in the first six months. I think what that has done is um, particularly for a lot of young voters who are fed up with the country's lack of prospects, for the second election in a row, it has attracted someone who is an anti-establishment candidate, who's someone who has not been afflicted, be it be it Officially or unofficially, we're seen through proxies that uh, Rafael Correa's op- employed to um, to do very well in this presidential election. What's brought them across the line as well? Do you agree, Sam, that Daniel Noboa's relatively youth at age thirty five has enabled to- him to appeal to the country's relatively young electorate? Because I know on- around a fourth of all electoral ele- eligible voters aged between eighteen to twenty nine, so that's quite a big chunk of the population, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think youth is certainly an element of this, and I did note that he did quite a lot of campaign events in universities across Ecuador, so was clearly um, aiming for that youth vote as well. But I think sort of separate to it, but complementary to it, is I think he represented a change amidst this um, crisis because. He was external to the government and sort of external to the National Assembly chaos, at least his party was, um, because the National Democratic Action Party was only founded in May of this year to directly support his candidacy. So if you were the sort of person who didn't really like the chaos that had been going in Ecuador for the last number of years, you wouldn't support a Correa-backed candidate. You wouldn't want to support anyone associated with the current government or Guillermo Lasso. So... Daniel Naboa represented someone who was at a distance to both of those things, who was campaigning on some of the kind of things that they wanted to to change. So he was campaigning on um, economic reform boosting foreign investment, boosting tax benefits, um, boosting the fortunes of young people. So, yeah, I think I think that was one of the things he was able to do. And I think you I'm sure that there wasn't a direct translation of these votes and we also don't have the official data yet on the number of people who spoiled their ballots or whose votes were invalidated. However, I do find it interesting that between the first round and the second round, Daniel Leboa's raw vote count increased by 3 million votes. If you add up the votes for Jan Topic and the Movimento Construyer replacement candidates, that is 3 million votes between them. So it does seem like the people who chose not to vote for the Correa-back candidate in round one seem to all flock to Daniel Naboa. And I'm sure, as I said, it wasn't a direct translation. There was probably some roundabouts going on. There was probably some people who spoiled ballots, But I do find it interesting that on paper, he seemed to consolidate nearly every single vote of people who didn't back Correa back candidates in the first round.
0: Well, I should and I I think uh just quickly another thing to to say about that is um I, I think that's a very interesting analysis you said there. I'm I think I also note as well that what's interesting from my point of view is that um, what what has been clear in this round is that in 2021, for example, Guillermo Lasso won four in raw votes 4.656 million votes, whereas Danny Nebo won 5.25 million on a lower share, on the share of the vote. So that suggests to me turnout is a lot higher. Um, nearly 10.1 million Ecuadorians voted compared to 8.9 million last time round. And turnout um then was 82% of valid votes. So it suggests an incredibly high turnout in Ecuador in between 2021 and
1: 2023, suggesting people thought the stakes were very high.
0: I mean, and I did note that. About,
1: however. Uh, when Guillermo Lassa was elected, there were nearly 18% of vote, of cast ballots invalidated or blank. So that's I'm, I'm interested to see what that data is like this time around, whether it was comparable, whether it dropped, whether Lassa was a particularly polarising candidate, you don't know, but uh, that is a caveat.
0: I think that's a very important caveat. And you talked about Daniel Bo's appeal. I didn't note that he, he he tried to present himself as Bo, as you said, in a way, Neither the left wing associated with uh the Correrias nor the right wing in an attempt to disassociate itself with um Guillermo Lesto and, and his unpopular administration. But in the same way that Andrea Rouse as vice president picked for Luis Gonzalez, was trying to send a signal about the ticket's overall loyalty and strength towards Rafael Correra and to tap into the popularity of the social welfare programs he um he initiated whilst as president. Um the profile of Darina Powell's vice president candidate is very interesting. So Veronica abbott Rogers, uh she is uh I think going to be one of the first females to serve as vice president of Ecuador, I believe. I think it's the the set the third woman to serve as vice president of Ecuador. Um, in an um, if you include those who acted in that capacity, she is a right wing business coach who has spoken about her desire to privatize Ecuador's ec- education and health services, and has been vocal against abortion and feminism. So I wonder if the vice presidential candidate is a clue potentially about how Daniel Noboa could govern, because Lasso was the country's first conservative leader in two decades. I wonder if through the vice president he very subtly indicates because he also has a business background like uh last he went to Harvard can uh Harvard business school he was a banker beforehand as well how he could potentially govern do you think so Sam
1: Yeah I think I think you're absolutely right to point that out and it is an interesting feature of this um particularly given the context of Guillermo Lasso's surprise election and we talked about that 2 years ago in that it was a bit of a a shock for the politics of that country and the region when Guillermo Lasso was elected. The only caveat I will say is what we have seen since this election, which sort of leads us nicely onto what comes next, is that I've noticed that the Citizens Revolution Party, Citizens Revolution movement and Luisa Gonzalez as a candidate have been a lot less antagonistic towards Daniel Naboa as an individual than they were towards Guillermo Lasso. I did note that in um luisa gonzalez's concession speech she was basically suggesting that they're preparing to work together um and one of the suggestions on the table at the moment in the background seems to be that naboa might pause or delay um corruption investigations into Korea candidates from the previous career administration in return for support for his reforms so Whilst he might be preparing to do a more rightward shift on economic things, it does seem to be that, at least from the Citizens Revolution movement perspective, they're much more willing to work with him than Guillermo Lassa, which to me suggests it might not be as right-wing as the previous government. But I guess, what, we're like three weeks after the election? So a lot can change, And and the previous Ecuadorian Chamber of Deputies became incredibly antagonistic incredibly quickly. Well, I think it's interesting that that didn't happen two and a half years ago, but has happened this time. So, I wonder if there is a bit more common ground between the two candidates compared to previous. Maybe it's a point of view that the scorcher
0: approach that they adopted last time round to blast again Lasso out of the presidency, as I said, the first conservative leader in two decades, mm-hmm. didn't work. Frankly, let's be honest about it. You know, you still achieve the same results, so they're trying something. Potentially very different and they know that in 18 months time, Daniel Oboa uh, will be up for election and you know the, the reality is is that 18 months as I said earlier, it's enough time for the honeymoon and the discontent to set in so And from Daniel Oboa's point of view, dropping the corruption, the corruption allegations That could be, you know, I need to get stuff done in you know, order to get reelected in 18 yeah.
1: months time, so it's yeah, a yeah. I mean, the, that's the, that's the thing I think that makes this so fascinating is that this is going to be an 18 month long government. So you're going to start campaigning what in a, at least a year, if not less than that, you're going to start ramping up your campaign for the next um, election. So in that period, what on earth is the incentive to compromise or take any decisions that could risk your chance of re um or risk? economic or judicial progress? Because you you only have 18 months, you're probably really, if you're Daniel Naboa, thinking, my focus for the next 18 months is going to be creating a platform to win the next election, and then I can use those four years to actually institute meaningful change. Or do you think he is going to go hell for leather to try and do that on this side of the election?
0: I think that people are, whilst they're propelled into this presidency, I think there's a lot of hope in his presidency that Again, an anti-establishment candidate could turn things around. So he probably would need to get some stuff done. And that would involve, like I said, talking to to some of the careerists who control Congress. So I think it's a very pragmatic way of trying to secure his re-election in 18 months' time. But the thing is that I think what's going to happen is that on the economic side, if he veers towards the left, I think there could be some common ground. I'm curious about how he's going to He's adopted quite a hardline position on many law and order issues, with Franklin Mira Lasso, for example. He has said that he wants to put the most hardened criminals on prison ships and boost security at borders and ports to disrupt key drug trafficking routes. I think potentially, if crime and insecurity is still a big issue in 18 months' time, No matter how many economic economic reform and economic growth will only come hand in hand if the security position in Ecuador comes as well. And I'm not sure if I look at other countries in that region, most famously in Mexico in 2006, whether
1: that approach would necessarily work. So lest we forget that a week before the first round of this election, one of the Key candidates in the election, Fernando Villavicencio, was assassinated in broad daylight um, by some criminal-backed gangs. So crime clearly was at the forefront of people's minds in this election, and the election did seem to turn, opinion polls certainly did seem to turn after that event, and I'm sure that carried through to the second round. So whilst we talk about the economic woes, which of course are important, um, I do think crime is, is is pretty significant in people's minds at the moment.
0: And I wonder as well with 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 economic reform, you have to work with Congress because you have to get a budget through. You have to get uh, economic to taxation, and spending rules. But with crime, I want gen. I wonder if the president has much more leeway, you know, to invoke emergencies and executive orders. You know, the police and stuff like that. Okay, there is still some home affairs and justice reform you to get through. But I think crime could be something that is very much if we. Uh, and this is speaking from someone who looks at other presidential systems, not necessarily Ecuador's unique case, is that there are much more levers the president can pull. Mm, So that mm. is something which I think he has to work with the career-backed candidates and potentially adopt left economic policies. But the crime issue could be Daniel Noboa's true colors in this 18 months before the next presidential election in 2025.
1: Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting time in Ecuador. And, um, I certainly wouldn't want to be Daniel Leboa facing that parliamentary arithmetic but um, we'll see what happens and I'm sure we'll be back to talking about Ecuador in 18 months, if not before. Well, I'll tell you one thing Sam, I can guarantee
0: campaigning for the next presidential election will start on the 26th of November 2023, one day after Leboa's inauguration, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, I mean politics never stops.
0: Okay, so we'll be moving south from Ecuador to be talking about the first round results of the Argentinian presidential and parliamentary elections, which will go for. And on the presidential election side, we'll see a runoff between the economy minister, Sergio Massa, who came a surprising first with 36.7% of the vote. Against and he will be joined in the second round by the far-right libertarian anti-establishment candidate Javier Millay, who won 30% of the vote. We should note that eliminated in the first round is the former security minister, Patricia Bullrich, who won 23.8% of the vote, and she has since thrown her support behind Millay, but it should be noted that her Juntas Poro Cambio coalition is split. So while she and the former president Maurizio Macri and both back Javier Millay, it's not necessarily putting Millay potentially as a favorite for uh in the second round um just quickly um because we we do we should note these things um in the concurrent uh parliamentary elections in the lower house the chamber of Deputies where half or 130 out of the 257 seats were out for election the union of the Homeland Coalition so the The group of parties that represent Peronism got 58 seats, down 6 with 38.5% of the vote. Uh, And together they will have 108 seats, so that's a minority of the seats in the Chamber of Deputies. Liberty Advances, which is part of Associated Javier Millay, got 35 seats for a total of 39 seats and 26.5% share of the vote. The Juntas-Poel-Cambia coalition suffered a, a horrific night. They had 31 seats down 25 with 26.6% of the votes for a total of 92 out of the 257 seats. And the remaining six seats went to smaller parties. That's one more and 18 seats altogether. In the Senate and one third of the Senate is up for election every time. So these last set of Senate seats were up in 2017, which was a good result for the Junta's Poro Campia coalition. Amidst that, the... Peronists, or the Union of the Homeland Coalition, got 13 seats up three with 43.7% of the vote. They controlled 36 seats out of 72, so they didn't quite regain the historic majority. the the, the, the majority they usually control in the Senate. Liberty Advances entered the Senate with seven seats to 25.9% of the vote. And the Juntas Poral Cambia Coalition, given the circumstances of the vote in 2017, only have two seats, down nine. With twenty six point six percent of the vote for a total of twenty three seats in the Senate, and there are six seats that went to smaller parties. In total, two were up for election. It's a gain of one. So, Sam, um, compared to your expectations, and compared, compared to the a your expectations and b,
1: the nationwide primary results. What were your reactions to these results? I think my reaction was a bit of a surprise um, for multiple reasons. One was a surprise that Javier Milli didn't top the polls in this election because he topped the polls in the primary election. And for much of the period between the primaries and this first round, he was polling in first place. So it was a surprise to me that... Really, in percentage terms and raw vote terms, he actually didn't change his popularity that much at all. Um, so, whatever men- momentum he had coming out of the primary election seems to have flatlined in that period. Um, so that's interesting. And then the other element of surprise is that um, the that Sergio Masso did particularly well and topped the polls this time around. It shouldn't be hugely surprising, I think, that um, the Huntess-Porell-Cambio candidate, Patricia Bolich, didn't make the second round, because certainly in the opinion polls between the primary elections and this first round, she was not performing particularly well and was polling in third place. So that shouldn't be a particular surprise, but I think it kind of should be a surprise um, if you look over the last year, two years, because going into the primary elections, It was seen as almost certain that some form of opposition candidate was going to do really well and was potentially going to be the favorite to win this election because of the economic situation argentina is in and now i think it's a good time to point out that argentina does have inflation around 140 percent so three figure inflation is recorded and what was sergio masso's last role in government well he was um the economy minister uh, under alberto fernandez so he has been directly responsible for the economic performance of argentina so it it's i guess my main surprise is that the person who seems to be directly responsible for the situation which propelled opposition candidates to be successful, has been the most successful candidate, which I think in itself should be one of the headline reactions to this remarkable result heading into a second round that at least in the moment, he seems the marginal favourite to win.
0: I would say that that is my headline. It's like, how can you get the man who is associated with the financial crisis come first in a presidential election? You talk about inflation. I can tell you that 40% of Argentinians live below the poverty line. Argentina remains the world's single largest debtor to the International Monetary Fund, owning 46 billion US dollars. So it's a huge amount. Um and it's and and yet the economy minister has still come first. So that just beggars belief. And it came from nowhere because I think p- certainly from the primary results, my expectations was that you'll see Millai first, Master second and then third, certainly compared to the opinion polls, because I think Massa did gain between the primary and the general, and I expected but better. to same top was something, considering the economic circumstances, I find remarkable. So that leads to the inevitable question, Sam, of how did he outperform
1: expectation in opinion polls then? I think my headline theory to this, and you'll have to bear with me because it's a bit of a journey, is that i think the context of this election created a situation where the incumbent government was the front runner to oppose the sort of um ideology that was being espoused by javier miller because i think what happened in this election was that um patricia Bullrich and the Huntos por el cambio coalition became so fragmented because of the divisive primary that was run between her and horatio loretta that they sort of became out of the equation. And then when you had Javier Millay emerging as the primary opposition candidate, and he and his ideology is vastly different to that being presented by either um, Patricia Bolrich or um, Sergio Massa. He wants to pretty much dismantle um, the federal government and federal intervention, um, become completely isolationist, um, turn to the US dollar um, almost overnight. So it's a very different um, ideology being espoused by either of those people. And I think in retaliation to that, People who opposed that kind of ideology in Argentina felt like the incumbent unpopular government represented the more positive vision for Argentina. So they were able to ignore the sort of record of the incumbents and focus more on they are the institutionalist and traditionalist um, opposition to Javier Milay's platform, which is something that seems so alien to a large proportion of Argentinians. I mean, it's worth saying that to, um, Javier Mili performed ex- extremely well for a candidate who isn't backed by one of the main political coalitions in Argentina, and clearly there's a large percentage of people in the country who either support what he does or support some radical opposition to either of those two things. But I think primarily Sergio Massa's surge and overperformance relative to his personal record and opinion polls comes down to the fact that if you didn't support Javier Milli and wanted to support somebody who could actually beat him, Sergio Massa did seem like the the sort of obvious choice for those people, um, which I think Patricia Bolich shall be a bit annoyed about as someone who was actually the opposition to them, but she was quite a radical right wing candidate for Huntas Por el Cambio as well. So um I think Sergio Massa sort of came down the middle as as the moderate, both a moderate Peronist, but also the moderate against Javier Milai.
0: Well uh, I I think one thing you would talk about uh, uh, Patricia Boric and um briefly is that she she called herself the Iron Lady of Argentina so I think we know who she's trying to emulate with that phrase and turn of phrase. You talked about um, uh, Sergio Massa I, and, and how he managed to win. I sort of agree with you, but I think a lot of it has to be due to his campaign tactics. Because um, as economy minister, he announced last month, this month that there will be new income tax breaks in a blatant nod to alleviating the cost of living. And he announced that a fuel tax hike is being delayed to February next year. So, you know, not exactly blatant about his attempt to try and win the presidency. Um, But I will say this, I think what you said there about Argentina's not being used to it and talking about some of how this government is helping is that amidst this economic crisis, and I talked about the poverty, the inflation rate, I think what Sergio Massa did as a campaign strategy was particularly effective because both he and the unions uh, and this is an example is that the union sponsored an ad campaign on trains and buses to make tangible the value of the public spending on surgery Sergio Massa in alleviating the cost of the living. They promote the so-called a Massa price, showing how the state is subsidizing transport costs for consumers and Sergio Massa talked about this in campaign stop after campaign stop, talking about how his policies as an economy minister have helped, and his subsidies that the government has given has helped alleviate the cost of living. And he contrasted that by what he called the Milai price and the bullrich price, showing how candidates' proposal to slash spending and uh, slash the subsidies will impact them directly. So he could present that contrast, which I think was particularly effective in the cost of living, and when it became very much thinking about myself and yes you might be fed up with this uh, with the with with the current government but com but the fear of seeing the subsidy which has been so crucial to making your life even not which could have made your life uh, a lot more worse if it wasn't withdrawn i think people that's why reluctantly gave their vote to Sergio Massa and if you and i saw some analysis where did Sergio Master improve his vote from the Prime Minister General? It's exactly in the poor districts in Buenos Aires. Mm. So mm. I think we can draw a line between his effective campaign and his good debate performance, to so this out outperforming, outperformance here. And we also had to talk about pro Francis as well. But what do you think about that?
1: I I think you I think your argument makes a lot of sense. Um and I think his economic campaign clearly did have an influence. And I think the tax um the income tax exemptions also probably made quite a big influence, especially in a struggling economy. Um, Buenos Aires, it's interesting you brought it up because one of the other things I had written down is that the incumbent governor of Buenos Aires, um, Axel Kisilov, won an incredibly strong re-election campaign in the city of Buenos Aires. Now, he is a close ally of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, so much more Peronist than Sergio Massa himself presents to be. But um, I think he owes a lot of his support and incredibly strong support in Buenos Aires to a particularly strong campaign further down the ballot as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he sort of navigates that um, political element for someone who distinctly tried to be much more moderate than the Kirchner dynasty. um, But then having a Kirchner back candidate propel him um, to a very strong performance in that in that province will be interesting. And I think you can't also ignore the fact that there has been a historic strength of Peronism and Peronist-backed candidates. I mean, since 1951, with the exception of the 15 years that the party was banished in Argentina, they've only lost the presidency on three occasions, 1983, 1999 and 2015. So I therefore think it shouldn't come as any surprise that Massa outperformed expectations and was incredibly competitive in this election because Peronist candidates and parties endorsed by that wing of um, Argentina's politics have been incredibly strong. I mean, 2015 was won by Mauricio Macri of the opposition 51 to 49% in a runoff and 1999 was won outright by Fernando de la Rua. So they didn't get to a second round in that occasion, but because the second round didn't exist. So they have been at the height of argentinian politics and i think regardless of what the sort of economic outcomes are that kind of platform can't be understated and that kind of latent popularity amongst the general argentinian population can't be understated as well because if you have a political vehicle that is that strong your candidacy is probably going to be relatively strong either way whether you win or not well
0: i think it's interesting uh, we talk about Peronism and I think listeners should understand because ke- Peronism is so integral to Argentina, but it's, it's associated with two politicians, I would argue, who have long departed Argentina's political scene, Juan Peron and of course his wife Eva Peron and we all know Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, that famous song, um, sorry Sam, I had to bring it up. Um. And I can see him laughing there. Um, I'm not going to criticize it...
1: musical theater references on this podcast show. You
0: know that, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, and it's important to understand who Juan Perón and Eva Perón are and their legacy in Argentina, because I think it's inescapable, really. Because Juan Perón was Argentina's labor secretary after participating in the 1943 military coup. He was elected president in 1946, and introduced. I think what we could describe as then, and now what we describe as populism, a form of left-wing populism introducing a lot of social programs that benefited the working class. He supported labor unions. He advocated a mass expansion of interventionism in the Argentine economy. And he was hugely popular. And his with his him and his wife Eva Peron um championed the rights of migrant workers and organized labor. Um and he was genuinely very popular throughout most of his tenure so i think it's a he that vague blend of nationalism and labor and populism is um very popular um still within
1: argentina do you have any more comments to add about peronism before i talk about sergio massa no i think you summed it up quite nicely i think ideologically i think for to make a closest comparison it's sort of like communism to a certain extent in terms of like state intervention and um, trying to dismantle sort of distinct class distinctions in the country. But one of the crucial elements of it is it's incredibly nationalist. Um, It's incredibly inward looking in terms of wanting to put Argentina first if you want to um, sum it up that way. But I think it's that's probably the closest ideological brackets you can put it in in terms of making it comparable to other countries around the world i think that's probably do you think that's a fair assessment i
0: think you're absolutely right and there's an, a tinge of social a paternalistic element about it all really but at the same time peronism particularly with the center left in argentina has been a catch-all term because within that there are different factions what i would con consider the Kirchnerism which is more associated with Néstor Kirchner and his wife Cristina Fernández de Kirchner and then you probably have the group associated with Alberto Fernández and Sergio Massa who are much more centrist in their outlook so much more to the right of the Peronist coalition i don't think someone associated with the Kirchnerism which is a very uh which is much more left wing economically there's a very strong nationalist but a much more confrontational approach to Argentine politics would necessarily work in this environment, particularly when you have Javier Miller as well providing that confrontation in this approach as well. I think it would have just been incredibly polarizing and it might not necessarily work. Whereas Sergio Massa's much more centrist version, I think in 2019, where Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner thought that she could control Alberto Fernandez, some would say somewhat successfully behind, pull the strings behind the scenes. I think she realized now that she had mm, to step completely mm. out of the limelight in order to get a Peronist candidate or to ensure that the brand of Peronism remains in the presidency. So I think she has been quite... She has said that... She has acknowledged there's no love loss between uh, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and Sergio Massa because Sergio Massa served as Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner's cabinet chief but ran against the official Peronist candidate in 2015. Mm. So there is no love, love lost. I think she has only said one kind thing about Sergio Massa, which is that oh, you know, she he had a hard road, he had a hard road, tough set to deal with his economy mm. minister, but that's about it. And I think that sort of distancing from Christina Fernandez de Kirchner has in effect proved a little bit helpful. Do to you think Sergio it's Massa. do you
1: think Sergio Massa's um, sort of more moderate political uh, ideology is the reason why the Together for Change, the Huntersboro, can be our candidate? Patricia Bolrich was just shut out because um, he was able to capture some moderate voters that usually would flock to her opposition in this case? Or do you think that's a whole different story? Possibly. That might have explained a little bit. Um, and particularly, I would say... Because it is it is an interesting facet of this election that Patricia Bolrich or whoever was going to be the Hunter's Poral Cambio candidate isn't in this second round it is an interesting facet of this election i think
0: i think it could explain why between the primaries when there was a more moderate juntas poro cambio candidate on the ballot and what we saw as the final result that uh some of the votes leaked not necessarily went a hundred percent to patricia boric but some of it went to sergio massa but i still think the reason he in the polls in the end was because of the underlying strength of peronism so i i think it's somewhat ex- it explains his rise but may not explain
1: its outcome if that makes sense do you buy that yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair it was just i just think it's it is interesting that you have sort of like a dire economic situation and a pretty divisive um populist candidate on the table in Javier Milei, and yet the opposition is was not really even that close to making the second round and that i think is is an indictment on patricia Borrich's candidacy and i wonder is should we talk a bit about her her move since um not making the second round and what to expect from the opposition going into this second round i think that's maybe a nice transition yeah i think i think you're absolutely right but before that um sam i have a very simple question for you and for
0: we talked a lot about, particularly the midterms with Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, who the Kirchners are. You know, you can't you can't write the last twenty years of Argentine politics without talking about Chris, the Kirchners. But who is Javier Milei? Because I think part of the reason why um, he's just been a very successfully been able to capture the anger of um, of a lot of voters, including I suspect a hefty chunk of young voters who have been fed up with Argentines political situation does that sound familiar compared to ecuador who probably would have voted for patricia borrich but because of this anti-establishment option i went to vote for javier Milli. um javier Millay became famous on tiktok he's an economist um who became famous on tiktok he's called Argentina's donald trump he has gone around at campaign rallies waving around giant replica dollar bills because part of his plan is to um to use is to use the U.S. dollar rather than what he called the excrement of the Argentine peso. And he has also gone around campaign rallies brandishing uh, a chainsaw, symbolizing, symbolizing his intentions to slash a bolted government bureaucracy, including to close the ministries of sport, the ministry of culture, the ministry of social development, the ministry of women, and to merge the health and education portfolios. So quite a radical... um quite a radical um, campaign platform, and he has also brandished his anti-establishment credentials by calling the political class, quote, parasitic, and has said that the cure for inflation is to eliminate Argentina's central bank. So I think in the mood for anti-incumbency, would you not agree with me, Sam, that his much more eye-catching announcements had just been simply been able to catch the public's imagination that something that which Patricia Ball, which probably, even though she's much more right wing, probably would never be able to expout, isn't
1: it? No, and he's become a story around the world as well. I I remember when there was the primary elections um, taking place in August. It was actually one of the main stories on the BBC News homepage that, about Javier Melay and his his victory in that primary election. So he's sort of become a story abroad as well. And I think that that can't be discounted in trying to understand why he sort of captured the opposition mood um, in Argentina as well. And there's probably an explanation as to why Patricia Bolrich, since the first round, has endorsed Javier Um I mean, it's not a straightforward endorsement because a lot of the Hunt Esporal Cambio coalition is pretty uncomfortable with that endorsement. But her and Mar- Mauricio Macri, the former president, have endorsed Javier Millar going to the second round. Turn um, your reactions to that. Uh, on Mauricio Macri, I was I was less surprised by Patricia Boric because I thought,
0: as a more right wing candidate, she might back. Um... Harvey Miller purely because I think Kirchnerism and Christina Fernandez de Kirchner is so polarizing as a political figure and a left-wing form of populism that for many on the center-right, this must be a question of who do you hate least? Do you hate Peronism or are you just so antithesis to what Harvey Miller is promoting that you have to bite your tongue and vote for the Peronist candidate? But what I did hear about why Maritza Macri backed them. Um, uh, Sergio Massa, it's because they fundamentally hate each other. It's because one reason is that in 2013, um, when uh, Sergio Massa uh, teamed up with Maurizio Macri and ran his dissident, um, Sergio Massa ran his own platform with Maurizio Macri's tacit backing in 2013, in the midterm elections then. But when, in 2015, they fell out when Sergio Massa decided to run for the presidency and threatened significantly... Mauricio Macri's ability to run for the presidency in that year and then in 2019 as the kingmaker he backed Alberto Fernandez because Cristina Fernandez yet he, he was supposed to run in 2019 until Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner decided not to run for president and instead put Alberto Fernandez in so I think there's no love lost between america macri who was once a close ally He tried to defeat Cristina fernandez de kirchner but in running in 2015 and backing alberto fernandez they simply fell out so i think it was somewhat inevitable for macri to back mm. milai and that does show sam in the presidential election system is personalities isn't it
1: yeah yeah uh, absolutely i mean i think it's also at this point worth talking about what's going on a bit further down the together for change coalition because this endorsement from patricia Bolrich and marcio macri has not gone down particularly well with all the member parties in that coalition the together for change coalition is 13 parties in total one of the largest um is the ucr the radical civic union party who ran against patricia Bolrich in the primary and did respectively well well he has come out um Blazingly critical of Patricia Boric for endorsing Javier Millay. um They really don't like his um, ideological background. Um, they even said that uh, they described it as completely intolerable and said that they've abandoned the coalition with the endorsement of Javier Millais. And there's even some suggestions in circles that this could lead to a complete fragmentation of the Together for Change coalition and the Radical Civic Union walking out of it altogether because. Javier Millay has even suggested since then that he might even invite Patricia Bullrich to sit around his cabinet table, which I think they would view as a complete, completely unacceptable position to take. Now, I don't know if that would even happen, but to have it suggested I think is, is sort of um, an indication of how crucial Javier Millay views Patricia Bullrich's endorsement going into this next round. But it's not at all clear that all of the supporters of Together for Change will row in behind Javier Millay. Do you expect that to happen? I think a large majority will
0: because you have the press the the former president you have the 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 current presidential candidate all both rowing in behind so i think that's a significant chunk of the party but you cannot i think particularly the ucr you have to understand that the ucr is quite influential component of the together for change coalition i note, for example that in 2007 it actually made the second round and its candidate, uh, Elisa Correra, lost against a certain Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner in the in the presidential election and came second. So it's not an insignificant part of the Junta's Al campio coalition. So potentially, but we'll have to see. There will have to be some making out whatever the result is of this presidential election in the Junta's Al campio coalition. One thing is for certain. And speaking of other influential factors, you asked me a while there, I mentioned Pope Francis. Well, Pope Francis is, of course, Argentinian. So he does, he is familiar with art. And he's. he has, he, I know that he gave an interview in the first round uh, on public television warning of the danger of so-called, quote, messianic clowns and pipe pipers who lead people to drown. I think his message is quite clear and certainly aimed at, a population was nearly two-thirds Catholic, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I, I did note that Javier Miller's reaction to that was to call Pope Francis a filthy leftist, so um, I don't think there's any love lost between those two candidates either. So Churn, that leads nicely on, I think, what do you expect to happen in this election? So what's your prediction? Who's gonna win and where are those votes gonna come from? I have to be honest, I toyed with this one because it's not
0: easy. I think Sergio Massa has done enough to win, but it'll be incredibly close. I also don't believe now Argentine opinion polls, given their, quite frankly, spectacular miss in this round. But I do think that, I think if I recall, even in, um, uh, and I, I'm currently checking right now, I think in, they've often got the first round ro- wrong in the previous elections I looked at but then i have been able to course correct and quite accurately predict the results in the second round. So I'm hoping that will be the case, but an opinion polls do show that Sergio Massa is in the lead. Um, I think it is enough for Sergio Massa to win. But that being said, I would not be surprised if Javier Mirai does pull it off because of the fact that I think probably enough of the Juntas Poro Campio has well rolling behind him of to overturn the deficit what do you think sam
1: i think i'm going to give a similar non-answer to you which is that i really don't know i think it could genuinely go either way i think my head tells me that Sergio Massa is probably more likely to win because i think there is enough people within the hontosporal Cambio world particularly your the the civic union um tradition of that coalition who would probably bite their tongue and vote for a Peronist candidate to prevent someone like Javier Melay becoming president of Argentina, because it's not just sort of like an ideological opposition. This is a complete opposition to how the state functions and how a government is run. And I think there will be enough institutionalists in the Jantas Por el Cambio world who might bite their tongue and vote for a Peronist candidate in this case. And I think, as we said right back at the beginning of our discussion of Argentina, I think the fact that Sergio Massa comes from a more moderate wing of Peronism is crucial here because I don't think they would be able to hold their tongue and vote for someone like Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, but I think they could hold their tongue and vote for someone like Sergio Massa. So it really depends whether people are prepared to do that as to what happens, but I think there will be enough people prepared to do that to prevent... Harvey Mila winning this presidency, but I think it could be incredibly close. And I think crucially now, Christina Fernandez de Kirchner is not on the ballot
0: whatsoever. Yeah. I yeah. think in 2019, people thought as VP, you know, Alberto Fernandez is on mandate, you know, he will be much more moderate and it will somehow work. I think the last four years have proven has not been able to work because she's still strident and she's still radical. She's unwilling to change her own views and compromise. But the fact she's nowhere near on the ballot, I think will really help trying to consolidate some of those disaffected moderates. And for the centre-right, I come back to that question earlier. The outcome of this election will be moderate to centre-right voters deciding which of the two options they hate the least. Hmm. It's not going to be a vote probably of confirmation. It's probably going to be a vote more against one candidate than the other. And I think it will A, tell us about whether anti-establishment politics are still very strong like in the region like we saw in daniel boas election or it's a peronish tradition in argentina it's still despite all the bruises in the last four years it's still overwhelmingly strong isn't it sam
1: yeah exactly and we don't have too long to wait because the um the second round will actually be held a fortnight today um so we'll have to see what happens Chen. but it's going to be quite a significant moment for argentina whatever happens because it's either peronism continuing or quite a break from not just Peronist tradition, but Argentinian political tradition in general. Well, let's put it this way. Um, I saw that uh, Jair
0: Bolsonaro's son flew into Buenos Aires in the expected first round victory of um, of um, Javier Mili. So the question is, is whether he would then, would he jinx it again by going in the second round? We shall see. But... You know, we will be talking about this two weeks time. And to finish off, Sam, you know, we both, well, we both love TV, movies and celebrities. So I'll be there for you when we talk about the results. But on that note, um, from one friend to another, that is it for the latest episode of Ballot to talk about. Do join us again next week when we'll be reviewing state election results in the United States and reviewing the uh, political year in the U.S., And as always, we'll continue to keep you up to date on the world of politics and elections from around the world. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at ballot underscore talk. And please do leave us a rating or review or simply tell your friends about us. You can also email any feedback or comments to about at gmail.com. My name is Chen Han and until next time, we will speak to you soon.